Hey everybody, welcome to the very first podcast of Know Your Gear. Uh, I'm Phil. I'm Ralph. And we are going to start the series. Um, if you're aware of the email address, we have an email address called Ask Know Your Gear, where you can ask us questions or you can ask me questions, but of course Ralph will be here as well. And what's going to happen is we're going to answer these questions candidly, uh, openly, uh, no uh, no limits, no, no bars, everything's up front. Only thing you don't have to worry about is uh, no cursing. So we'll keep yeah. it, we'll keep it clean. Uh, the stories might get weird, <laughs> but at least you know there's no curse words. So if you're listening to this and you have family in the background, you don't yeah. have to be concerned. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to worry about us dropping any f bombs or anything else like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, so there, there you go. Okay. So let's start. We're gonna start with Kyle. Kyle's got the very first question. Kyle sent a question. Uh, and he said, what is the most Spinal Tap moment on stage? I thought this would be a funny topic. It's Kyle's Spinal Tap moment was, uh, he, he, uh, he was, mine was when I thought a guitar cable was next to my leg, so I tried to kick it away from me. Well, to my surprise, it was a Boss tuner pedal and it flipped over, muting my guitar. He was doing an acoustic-only gig just by himself, so it kind of got awkward when all the sounds stopped. Uh, and he said he loves the show and, and enjoys the hard work. So I'll let Ralph go first. Ralph, uh, oh. tell us the band you were in and what happened. <laughs> okay. Um, I was in a band called The Elders UK here in Phoenix. We were a uh, no, pretty much a punk band, punk rock band. Um, no, we had all the, the, the normal mishaps, the... Uh, someone forgetting what song we were in, um, stuff like that. Um, I think I think our biggest my my biggest smile tap moment with them was we had a shtick where we would smash instruments at the end of a show. Um, so we I, would, I remember that because after the shows you would come in the shop and ask me weird questions like, "Hey Phil, do you have a a neck?" screw <laughs> you know and, and i'm like yeah. what and you're like i'm putting this thing back together oh yeah you guys I mean, would just put them back together each week they would yeah. smash them for the record everybody so you know they would smash guitars every show yep. and, and then put them all back together put greg back would together. put them to, back together yeah but, i mean it was so bad we would have screws going through the body and the neck and you know you couldn't play on the guitars you couldn't play past the 17th fret because you were hitting a screw that was coming through <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, it was it was it was uh, shenanigans like that. That's and the kind of vibrato where your finger <laughs> just bleeds. Yeah, adds tone. If people don't understand, more screws in the neck add tone. <laughs> but screw, um, screw tone. Yeah, I know we yeah. said we're gonna keep it clean, but it's metal. Yeah, that's, it's metal. That's metal, dude. Metal screws metal. equal tone. Yes. It's Especially for know. wood screws. Already, we're learning more on this podcast than we ever did on the <laughs> channel. Yeah. Screws, metal that's, screws equal uh, tone. Yeah. So if you're a manufacturer, that's uh. <laughs> Which one to know about? Tone screws. Yes, definitely. Um, and they're $5 a screw. Yeah. So we played a bar up in Scottsdale, and we had told the, uh, the bar owner that we were going to smash gear. No, we, we didn't do it to, to destroy the bar or anything else like that. We were you know, very aware what was what, what was the stage on, and, and we didn't want to destroy anything there and actually have to replace anything. So we told him before we played. He was okay with it. Go through the show, um, and at the very last song, we smash our instruments. Um, no. Crowd always enjoyed it. No, we thought it was funny. Um, 
we get done, and right away the bar owner's upset with us for smashing gear on stage. Couldn't figure out why. No, we're like, no, we told you this. Um, and basically what it came down to was we had 15 minutes to get all of our gear out of the bar, or he was calling the police. <laughs> so and and so that was our I think our, our biggest spinal tap moment was we got permission to do something, did it, and then have the no almost had the cops called on us. So did you collect your check? Yeah, our monster check I think was like twenty bucks. Sweet, that was awesome. Four dollars a dude or five dollars a dude. Yeah, it was a uh, it was like a um, a Blues Brothers moment where the bar tab was more than what we were being paid. Nice. Well, twenty bucks. Yeah, I mean, 20? that's like two beers in a bar. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you're lucky, two beers. And this was Scottsdale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So mine was, I was in a band called Phantom Charlie, and Phantom Charlie was uh, one of the few bands I was in for a, a while where I played guitar. And when I joined the band, I was the last member. So there was a keyboard player, a guitar player, singer, a drummer, and then me. So a five-piece. Uh, no, six-piece. Six-piece. Yeah, six-piece. Two guitar players, piano, drums, guitar. Anyways, so... I used to do this thing where I had a wireless system. I was a little bit more flamboyant than they were with crazy stuff, antics. They none of them liked my wireless system, and none of them appreciated what I, you know my stuff that I was doing. Uh, so what happened was one time we played this show uh, called at the downtown Tucson Downtown Performance Center, and it's like a fifteen hundred person venue. It was the first time we ever played a stage that was a little taller than normal, right? Stage was like four feet. Uh, instead of the old, you know, two-foot stage or one-foot stage. So anyways, um, we're playing the show. I'm on a wireless. I come up with this great idea that I should jump into the crowd. Now, I don't mean jump like crowd surf. I'm going to jump, land on my feet, run to the back of the room, right, and then run back to the stage. Genius, right? Normal antics that anybody would do during a show. Absolutely. So I jump off the stage, and what happens is I land on my two feet, and the inertia makes me fall forward. Well, I'm still holding my guitar. I'm still playing. So, because I put my arms out, but I'm holding my guitar, my guitar stabs this guy in the chest with this Ibanez headstock. It's very pointy, very painful. He takes the brunt of all the force of what I'm doing, right? (laughs) And I immediately, when I see his eyes, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm still playing, by the way. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) The, The band was very intricate, and there was just no, you know, no tolerance for not playing. Um, so anyway, so I, I stab him with this. I, I, I never I never saw him after the show. I was actually afraid to because I'm sure his chest just looked like an alien, you know, popped out or something. Do you remember what model Ibanez it was? Yeah, RG770. There you go. <laughs> so anyways, so I, I stab him in the chest really hard because I didn't realize the stage was like four feet tall. So now I'm aware of what happened. I need to get back on the stage, and I realize I can't climb the four-foot stage. And I have no idea how to get to the sides of the stage because there's no access points. The singer looks pissed. The band looks irritated, right? I don't even remember how I ended up back on the stage, but I got there after, like, by the end of the song, right? And I played the whole time. So the interesting part of the story is, is that not only was that my Spinal Tap moment, but for the next year and a half I was with them, I wasn't allowed to move. I had to stand next to my amp. First of all, I wasn't allowed to bring my wireless anymore. Which was I really sucked because I I paid a lot. It was a telex system and it was really expensive. Anyways, 
had to stand next to my amp. And if you see videos uh, of the of the shows, you'll see that to piss them off, not only would I stand next to my amp, I would always lean against the wall at the back of the stage and just lean against it with my foot against it and just play my guitar like I was bored. Um, and I did that in protest for a long time. Uh, and the cool thing about that, I should always point out, is the stuff was so intricate and crazy with what the band was doing. It wasn't like they just kick you out and get a guy next week, right? Yeah. It took months to get all the parts down. So once, you know, it was it was hard to kick somebody out. Because <laughs> it's not like you could just go, hey, it's three, these three chords. You know, there's intricate phrasings, uh, off time, six, eight time, you know, five, eight. Yeah, because it was very prog rock. It was very prog rock. So, um... Uh, in fact, I was always stressed because it was really, it was a band that was more technically proficient than my ability was. So I was always practicing. But that's my Spinal Tap moment. Uh, and uh, I haven't owned a wireless since. I, had, I mean, I, I owned a wireless system in the band because I thought it'd be great to run around on stage. Right. Then I realized after I bought it, had it hooked up, that the stages weren't that big. So the area you could run around with was like four feet. Yeah, nice. And even if you could run out in the crowd with most bar, most bars, a 25-foot cable gave you enough room to run off on the dance floor. Oh, nice. So I, I was like, I had that wireless system, and I did it a couple of times. Like, this is ridiculous. So I went back, and I think I just had like an 18-foot cable after that because I was like, there's no point in, in having a wireless system and dealing with that every show to walk around in my four feet of stage room. Nice. I feel the same way. <laughs> All right. The next question is from Rob, a.k.a. Dude in a Cube. I'm, I'm probably, probably maybe works in a cubicle, or do you think he's like the movie Cube? He's in there and we should worry about him? Well, that was a good movie, too. That Cube was Hope you get out of that one, dude. You know, that Cube was a great movie because it was one of the best B movies out there, and it had good sequels, even though, what was the Cube? I don't know. Next one was like Cube. And like was, Cube Squared? Cube Squared. There was Octagon. <laughs> All right, so Rob, what is Rob asking? He says, I'm looking for an amp that can do it all. Rob, all of us are looking for that amp, so you're in good company. That's okay. I'm getting old and lazy. That's a good combination of things. It's, a, it's allowed to get lazy as you get older, I think. Uh, and it says, I don't want to carry too much gear into a bar, so would you, would you go combo or mini head and cabinet? That's the question mark. I'm doing covers, playing in a small to medium-sized venues, so it needs to be able to cut in a mix. Also, a solo, which would be great, too. Currently, I'm using a microamp in in the loop for boost. Okay, so I think he means microamp. I mean, he, I think he means the MXR microamp uh, booster. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Rob, that's a, that's a great... Uh, th- you know, this is a great subject to talk about because... Um, a lot of people watch my videos, they see I have a lot of cabs and mini heads. And it gets confusing because they obviously see that I, I have that stuff. You know, the the thing I need to explain is I have that because I go through amps. I'm always trying new amps, and I know I'm not going to keep amps forever. Some amps stay, some amps go. And it gets too expensive to keep buying combos all the time. <laughs> so it's easier to buy a head because the heads generally are a little bit cheaper than the combo, and if you already have a cabinet, you're good to go. Um, and they look cooler. Me, if I was going to play in a, in a bar, you know, and I was worried about my back. Well, first of all, I can tell you right now, you need to get a, uh, musician's dolly or cart. 
That's the, you know, those fold-up collapsible ones. You can get them at Costco. Those things are worth their weight in gold. And they, then some. Yeah, they fold up flat. They open up. So if you don't know what they are, they, you can Google it. It looks like a it looks like a wagon trailer, but it's, you know, right? Cooler. And, yeah, and you can take everything in one trip and not have to carry anything. And like I said, it folds up. And I, I find they're, they're, they're the most valuable thing you can get. So definitely get one of those. Uh, secondly, even with that in mind, a head in a cabinet is two trips, even if from the cart to the stage. So you have to decide, do you want lighter gear, more trips or get one, get it over with, right? Generally speaking, a head in a cabinet are only going to be slightly lighter than the combo for most of the models, right? Yeah. That's just how it works. Um, but you're looking for a con- an amp that does it all. It's tough because, you know, no amp does it all, right? Everything's got genre-specific stuff. Fenders are very, you know, top-end, high-end, clean, top-end and stuff. Um, but me, uh, what you didn't put in the question was pedals. You said you use a boost. I really like the Hot Rod Deluxe. I think that's an amp that most people, uh, musicians, should look at if you're playing in bars. They uh, they take a lot of beating. They're very loud, louder than you'll need them to be. They can back off in a bar no problem to, to acceptable levels. The distortions are adequate. If it's too fizzy for you, you can change that with a preamp tube. They take pedals really well. It's something to think about. They're not... Really expensive, not cheap, but again, value, right? Uh, Fender has a good warranty if you buy them. New. So I say Hot Rod Deluxe. What do you say? Um, I'm going to say is, are you plugging into a PA system at the bar too? You know, um, I, I know a lot of bars and a lot of clubs now actually have you know, PAs in them. Um, we had that video before on Know Your Gear where we wanted to know if, was it the 5 watt amps were loud enough to get over the drum set or the 15 watt amps? The 15 watt amps would get over the drum set. The 5 watt amps were a little, a little too, yeah. too weak. And, and, and the reason why, I'm, why I say that is, you know, if you get a line out on the amp, small amp, that's fine. Just go right to the PA. At least the amp's going to give you the tone you want. Um, so, I, and, and it's always a, that's always a weird question for me is because, Know, people ask, you know, what's what's going to be good enough? What's going to be enough to get over the drums? And I was, it's always saying, if you if you got a PA there, who cares? You got a line out on the amp. That's all you really need. Right, your amp just becomes a monitor. Yeah, and and I know this because when I was playing out, I had the um, custom groove bass twelve hundred. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With the four ten cabinet, great. Ninety two pounds was the cabinet. Right. So I hold that in in and out of every show. Uh, just because it looked cool on stage. And there was another band we always played with, and this guy, uh, he always had a, I think it was a 25 or a 40-watt bass amp is all he carried. Right. And he'd always laugh at me every time. He's like, he goes, why do you do that? He goes, this amp's got to line out. He goes, plug right in. He goes, I can carry my gear in out one trip. And and so that's why I, I say that because, really, if you have a line out on the amp, volume on the amp really is no more problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, again, it's, it's going to become your stage monitor. It's all you need. Audience is going to hear you through the PA. And and my thing is, once once you go through the theory of letting the PA do the work. Now, not all band, ba- bands have that. Bars have that, and bands have that. Yeah. Ability, but I'm but we're talking about the argument of having a PA. If you have a PA, the one thing I tell everybody: as soon as you're using a PA, you're micing your amp. Put the amp on an amp stand. I tell everybody: your knees do not have ears. 
You just use the amp as a monitor. Put the amp towards your face. Everybody likes to put the amps facing straight out where you're losing all that volume. And you, you'll find you don't have to turn the amp up as much if it's in your face. And um, so that's my always number one suggestion. Always try that. Yeah. I, I own like four amp stands. I would literally don't jam with somebody unless I have an amp in my face. Um, it's just easier for me to understand, you know, control what's going on. But but on that, yeah, I got no. I I have a hot rod deluxe. I actually have your old hot rod deluxe. Oh yeah, with the flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah the limited edition one that you get pinstriped and yep. and and because like Phil said, it it it's loud, it takes pedals. Yep. Um, I wish I had a more creative answer. Huh? That's good enough. <laughs> uh, the next one is from Mason. Mason says, "Hey, new or used?" That's the disclaimer. What is the best budget clean boost overdrive for heavy metal that takes a battery? Uh, I'm going to say clean boost. I, I we, you know, the microamp that that uh, that we were just talking about. The microamp pedal is a great boost pedal. Um, a lot of people like the EP booster, which is the exotic effects EP booster. I would say that's a great one too. Those two are my two recommendations. If it was given to me to, to I would probably pick the microamp only because. A lot of people like the exotic effects micro, uh, micro, no, the EP booster more. But I notice a lot of people who buy the EP booster eventually get rid of it to get the Mimics R again. So that's what I recommend. You got any recommendations on that? Uh, no, I don't, because I'd actually ask you which one to get. The uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. There's no reason in the world for me to be in a metal band and actually have to solo or anything. Um, the next question is. Um, a good one. Um, the person's name's unreadable, so I don't know. It's like a sign-on. But it says, do you have any guitars with a Floyd Rose special bridge? Question mark. I find that those go out of tune easily compared to the original 1000 series. Have you tried the Godo bridge? Uh, person, I can't say your name because I don't understand how to say it. Uh, you can give it a shot, Ralph. Anyways, uh, the answer is I do not use Floyds for the most part that are not the German original Floyds. I'm looking in the room. I'm trying to look at Floyd's. My Nuno has an original Floyd. Um, that's the main guitar I have with the Floyd Rose. All my other Floyd-type bridges are actually Ibanez's with edges or edge twos. So I like the edge system. Um, I will not deal with a guitar that will not stay in tune. As soon as the guitar doesn't stay in tune, I will, because I have too many guitars, I will put it aside and just go to the next guitar and play that guitar. And then after months and months of not playing the guitar because it's still out of tune, I'll sell it. Um, so a guitar really doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities with me um to do that um so for the record no i don't anything that's not german for floyd's unless of course it's blocked and put against the body and then i don't really care um but even then i don't have too many of them the the only one i don't know about is i have an evh guitar it has an evh floyd on it but i don't know what that is and i would probably I can tell you right now, for another two or three years, I have still have that guitar. That bridge will get swapped out for sure. I don't swap out the bridges immediately if I buy guitars like that for fun. That guitar is mostly for fun. I'm going to so, say it was Guero. Guero? Guero 1422. 1422. They, um, yeah, so everybody has crazy sign-ons, and then I can't say their names, and then... It's like reading someone's license plate. Yeah, it's right. Everybody signs like a crazy license plate. Um, yeah, we had the prompt today. You're like looking at a license plate and you're like, oh, it's been five minutes. I still can't figure this out. Okay, so here's a good one. It says, hey, I was. Uh, this is from Jenna. Uh, Jenna is saying, hey, 
I was doing a setup on my recently bought Gibson Les Paul Standard, and I forgot that it has a nitro lacquer uh, finish, and uh, I, cl- I cleaned it with alcohol. Uh, it resulted in clouding an opaque top layer, um, and I had some car wax with Carnuba, and I tried to buff it out, and it helped a little. Do you have any experience with this issue? Question mark. Any tips to try and fix it myself? I'm pretty handy, so I prefer to do it myself then send it to a specialist. Thanks a lot. Uh, so the the problem is this. You have to come to terms with one of two things when you have a lacquer guitar, okay? No lacquer guitar is going to stand the test of time. That's why they got rid of lacquer. I mean, it wasn't just the OSHA regulation stuff. Lacquer is not a, a it, not nearly, we're staring right now in my office at, at a row of guitars. I can tell you, see like that one, and that one I'm pointing right now for Ralph. I can point right now to the guitars that are lacquer. You can see that they're hazy. They don't hold shine like the polyurethanes. So, you know, people say lacquer breeze, lacquer whatever. I, I don't know. I don't even care. What, what I do know is that if you have lacquer, you have to get used to the idea that at some point it's going to nick, it's going to chip, it's going to fade, it's going to change color. And those are just the facts of lacquer. So if you're okay with that, then you leave it alone. In your case, I understand you kind of damage the finish, but you know, that's what's great about Les Pauls, right? Um, my guess is I, I, I'm not a lacquer person. I'm not a specialist in lacquer. And I know you want to do it yourself, but my recommendation would be to find someone who is, does lacquer and talk to them. They might recommend, this is what I guess, they might like recommend a very light sanding and buff, right? They might take it down a sheen and then, and then buff it out. I, I don't know. I've seen guys do amazing stuff with lacquer and fixing the chips and damage and hazing and, 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 chi- you know, and all that stuff and chips. So that's my suggestion. Nothing. Um, uh, yeah, I might even use like a, like a rubbing compound first before another waxing. So. And... Uh, The next one is from Alexandra. Alexandra is saying, hey, Philip, I hope you're doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ralph? Doing all right, yeah. Yeah, doing all right. It's Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And I'm going to say she's from Brazil because she said greetings from Brazil. Uh, Hello, Brazil. uh, Hello, (laughs) Brazil. Uh, It says, I have a guitar in which I installed a DiMaggio Super Distortion on the bridge position. Okay, so we got DiMaggio Super Distortion, one of the most famous aftermarket cups of all time in the bridge. I see we're talking hot rails in the neck. Okay, so obviously you have a guitar with a humbucker and a single coil. Okay, so hot rails in the neck, which is a mini humbucker. Both pickups are individual volume controls. Okay, but no toe knobs. So two pickups, two volumes. I'm just keeping this for everybody. So okay. Each volume potenti- potentiometer, I have a standard 500K value. So just because I don't want anybody to ever get confused. So in potentiometers right which is the 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 volume potentiometers like pots and tone ups they come in 500k 250k 25k and so on uh humbuckers generally always want 500k and single coils uh usually want 250k there are exceptions to these rules but those are good guidelines so what she's saying is so we're all clear she's put two pickups installed they're mini humbucker and a full size humbucker with two, each two having each having a volume knob and we now have identified that they are the right value, 500K. But a friend of mine suggested putting a one, millim- uh, a one meg? meg potentiometer in the bridge volume control, at least. Due to the fact that the super distortion is 
regarded as a high output pickup. Should I do it? How is that going to affect the output tone? Question mark. I know that is going to be a little bit more trouble. Trouble, not trouble. She's saying trouble, like bright in the tone, but is it worth the effort? I would imagine it's going to sound like horrid crap. Uh, <laughs> my personal experience is, uh, so one meg potentiometers are usually in the Jaguar, the Jazzmaster. Uh, Paul Reed Smith's used them. Um, they... They are very uh, so. So we talked about the single coils, right? Single coils, two fifty k, right? Um, Five hundred k and one meg. Um, I I have not had good experiences with one meg potentiometers. I have installed them in mini guitars, thinking I was going to get. And I and, and she already identified she's going to get more trouble. That's what happens with me. I get a lot of highs, and I just hate it. Um, and that's, and that's how I'm answering the question. I'm answering it for, for me, not for you. If you, if you were asking me what I do that to my guitar, no, um, those two pickups do not need treble added to them. I like the super distortion pickup and I like the hot rails, but both are bright, right? Yeah. And they're clean and crisp. And so they're fine. I would, if anything, want to, uh, you, you can warm them up cause they won't get muddy. So and, uh, and if you like the way it sounds now, then why change it? Right. I, and, and I and um, yeah. So so, are are you changing it because you want to add more trouble to your to your to your tone, or do you want to change it because someone m- made the suggestion you should change it? Right, right, so, right. Well, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's a good suggestion, but it's their ear. The problem is, is this? That's that's ex- as, you got. You know what? This is the best way to think of this. What your friend is doing and what I'm doing is the same thing. You're saying, hey. I just made an omelet. Should I put a lot of salt in it? And I'm like, I don't like salt, so don't. And he's like, hey, I like salt. Throw that stuff in there. You have to decide if you like salt, (laughs) right? So in this case, if you need, if you want, if you're feeling that you're not getting enough treble, tone, do the mod. If you feel like it's fine, leave it alone. My other piece of advice I will say over and over again, like a broken record is, if it sounds good, leave it alone. Yeah, too many times have we been at the shop where someone's came in for an upgrade, right? Because someone made that suggestion. Yeah, and I'm like, well, what don't you like about the sound? <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, then don't mess with it. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. The other thing, I I I I don't really say that term very often. What term I say is, don't be greedy. I find every time that the action is great, and I go, but if I could go a little lower, it just goes. It's just always goes wrong. If it sounds great, I think it goes. It can sound a little better. It goes wrong. So there you go. Next question is from Oscar. Oscar says, I own two ESP E2s. They are amazing. And they are made in Japan. I originally wanted ESP original, but the price is twice as much. But I don't really think it sounds or looks or even feels twice as good. Have you tried them? I have owned ESPs. I have worked on E2s. Um, I would agree with you. I think the ESPs now at three and $4,000 have just gotten really too high. Um, you know, my whole thing, I, I've been thinking about this lately and I've come up with uh, a decision for myself. I used to tell people like, oh, $4,000 is too much money or $2,000 too much money or $6,000 too much money or, you know, whatever. And I've really come to this conclusion. 
I have decided for myself because I told I told uh, I was told somebody a year ago. I said I don't want to buy any guitars anymore. They're over fifteen hundred dollars. I'm just done with that. And then I find myself looking at guitars that are more than that. But here's what I've realized about myself. If I buy a guitar for over $2,500 anymore, it's got to be worth that. Like if I pay $2,500 for a guitar, and even if it's only worth two, I'm fine with that. I would do that. I think I'm sick of guitars that are $4,000 new, and then you can't get $1,500 from used. I think I'm done with that. I think to myself, you know, I might as well just buy a $1,500 guitar and take the rest of that money and go do something fun with it. Because I'm sick of losing money on guitars when you can buy guitars all day long, new and used, and not lose more, you know, right? To me, yeah. if I lose a couple hundred bucks, you know, it's part of the, you know, I you win some, you lose some, right? Sometimes you sell a guitar, break even, sometimes you make some money. You know, I'm a collector, so when I get rid of something, I'm trying to get something else. Um, however, I'm done with the whole, how fast can I dump $1,000, You know why? It's because what upsets me is not just the money. Money sucks when you lose money. But what upsets me is it's the feeling I have. That's what I'm done with. I'm done with feeling like, oh, I bought this $4,000 guitar. And nobody thinks it's worth half what I paid. And I just sit there and I think, God, am I dumb? Is that what it is? That everybody's like, man, I'm not going to pay even half that. Yeah, it's... They're they're saying the guitar is worth four thousand dollars new, but used it's only worth you know twelve hundred all of a sudden. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. okay, and, and, and I don't know if and, and, and like you said, you like the ones that you have now. Is it really worth a double the price to go to a, another guitar that may be slightly better? If that, yes. So and then that's that's the only way I can rationalize it. That's the only way I can rationalize it yeah. as well. I mean, if 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 you like what you got, cool, cool, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. I, 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 and that's if you love it, then then the money part doesn't matter. But I think the problem is practicality. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but if if you're going, no, these other no, this other guitars, no, is what I want. It's everything I want it to be. Blah blah blah. It's great. And then then yeah, well, then you buy and, it. And you know where that came from, Ralph. You know, for me was it's when I bought. Remember when I bought all those custom moduluses and Zons? Yes. For three and four thousand dollars. And, you know, and then you'd sell them and you wouldn't get, you know, 1500 bucks for them. And I would just be going, I don't understand. Why were they so expensive then if they're not worth anything? So And now they're back up to three or four grand. Yeah, now they're back three or four. <laughs> well, that's because they went out of business because yeah. everybody stopped paying what I was paying for them. So yeah, let's go to the next one. It's Alexander. Alec Xander. Alec. Like not Alex. It's Alec Xander. Uh, said, hey, Phil, uh, I'll keep it short. Okay, cool. Uh, what's the best option for, and in quotations, cleanly, boosting my acoustic guitar when I go into solos, when gigging, clean boost pedal, or an EQ like a Boss G7, for example? Thanks in advance. My experience with clean boost, besides specifically buying a pedal made for acoustics that do clean boost, is that you do not want anything that adds more trouble when boosting. Uh, so an EQ pedal is sometimes nice because you can set a new volume and EQ out some of those highs. Keep the Because uh, you're soloing your notes on acoustics when you play a single note has a really shrill, tinny, thin sound. Sometimes it's nice to warm them up. I really, really like the Echoplex by uh, Dunlop MXR uh, for acoustic or for anything. It'll warm things up and add volume. Compressor pedals are another great way to 
Uh, they'll boost the signal, but then by compressing, they kind of sh- take off those highs and they warm it up. Um, the G7, though, you know, I would I would say to look at the G7 since you're already thinking about that. But the other two suggestions I would definitely say is the compressor and the Dunlop Echoplex. Doesn't Monty Montgomery use a compressor for that? Monty Montgomery does use a compressor. And if you don't know who Monty Montgomery is, you need to Google that right now unless you're driving. <laughs> pull over, then Google <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, pull over, yeah. Google it. Uh, let's see. Next one is... Okay. So the next one is from Ricardo. Ricardo's got a question. Uh, he's in the market for a new tube amp. And I have been playing... He's been playing for a while, but haven't invested in a quality amp yet. Uh, you know what? I love the way he just said that. I love the ter- I love the word invest. You invest into your sound. You invest into yeah. your tone. You invest into your, you know, your musical uh, playing ability. Um, these are investments. Well, in, and, and he said in, quality amp, not more right. expensive amp. Right. And and so yeah, I, Ricardo, I, you're using verbiage I love, yeah. right? You know, not you know I love you know you're, you're you're and I love it. You're basically, and I'm going to get to it in a second. So let's finish your question. Uh, it says. Uh, let's see. So he's been playing for a while. We already covered that. He wants a quality amp. Um, and he says, Hey, he's, it's now it's time to get one. And my question is, is it better to get a good clean amp fender reverb line, like a fender amp? Okay. Uh, and add pedals for distortion or go the Marshall route and get the overdrive directly from the amp. I tend to like tones that are clean with just a hint of distortion and add an extra oomph. Thanks for all the best. Well, Ricardo, couple great question and fantastic subject to talk about, and it gives me uh, an, uh, an opportunity to talk about a couple things. So I I really think that one of the reasons Fender is so successful in their amps is because they were first, obviously, and they're clean. But the real thing about that is most people don't realize that most Fender amps, most people play Fender amps, were not playing them clean. They were driving them hard. Right. Yeah. So the Fender Bassman, the Twins, you know, they were they were rocking those things, right? Some were using clean, but a lot of them were overdriving them. The uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb, you know, right, a little overdrive. The Princeton overdrive. So um, we kind of morphed that into throwing pedals in front of them, right? <laughs> uh, and that's fine. Uh, but if you're asking me the way you're asking me, uh, I think buying a great amp that you're in love with the clean sound is a great investment because. Um, the problem with an amp that has a good distortion tone, let's start here. I have never, ever been sick of a good clean tone. No. I've never, ever bought an amp and then a year later go, man, I'm just looking for a different kind of clean. Um, you know, I, I I like different kinds of cleans. Like, I like the Marshall clean tone with a little break on it. But anyways, I, I don't think you get sick of that. So I think if you have a great amp that sounds clean, that's a fantastic amp, that's a good investment because you could just keep that amp forever and always cycle pedals as you get sick of tones. Yeah, it's, it's something you can build on. You can build on. There's, you know, a lot of players, I think, go down this horrible, horrible rabbit hole of the perfect amp. I'm looking for an amp that has the best tone. And I'm like, well, but the, tone, the, to- the problem with that is, is that your ear changes. You change. 
the music changes. You know, um, I've seen it all. We've seen it all at the shop, right? Yeah. Guys are in a band. They buy an amp. This is the perfect amp. They love it. The band kicks them out. They get into <laughs> a new band. That band has a different tone. That amp doesn't fit the sound, right? They buy an amp. It's a fantastic amp. They love it. They move out of their house and move in an apartment. Now that amp doesn't work in their apartment. Things change, right? So, and I always find, I don't even care if you have a Fender Twin. If you have a great amp that has a good clean, you can always run a pedal quiet as night for practice. You can turn yeah. it up for band. So I personally will always suggest a pedal through a clean amp. I think that's very safe. Um, it's a good way to go. Uh, and, um, you know, everybody will have different opinions, but I've really found that works for me. And yeah, for, well, I mean, and for your overdrive tone, you can own there's there's a host of pedals out there for overdrive. You cannot buy a pedal for a clean tone. No, it doesn't go backwards. So, um, and th- and that was a question we've always had at the store too. Is someone's like, hey, I want a good clean tone, but this, this, and this. And so the idea is find the amp that with the the nicest clean tone, the one that you like. That's your foundation. You can always build up from there. And again, there's nothing wrong with the Marshall. If you like the Marshall clean, there you go. Yes. Right. And and the only thing is about Marshalls is they are great amps and they like pedals, but they are will color your sound a little bit. And uh, a lot of players like that. And where fenders don't color sound as much. They, they kind of, you know, so... You can't go wrong either way, but at least we got the right mentality, which is yeah. go for a good clean amp, figure out the amp you love. Like I said, fall in love with an amp. You can always change the pedals later. Next one's from Andrew. Andrew says, hey, I purchased a Gretsch G2226, which is going to be electromatic, kind mm-hmm. of import series from Korea, and it has a severe neck dive. Um, we'll talk about that word in a second. Uh, I have gotten a non-skid wide strap. Okay. But it's still, oh, neck dive. So he doesn't mean, okay, we're cool. Uh, he's got a big strap, <laughs> right? That's basically to hold on his shoulder. Um, I've contacted Gretsch and they were no help. Any ideas? Uh, yes. Uh, there's a couple things you can do. Um, the first thing I would suggest is um, you could go to ultralight tuners, right? That will help. Your, your guitar is neck diving. You got it. There's only three things you can do. Ready? And you can do all of the three. Two of the three, one of the three. You've already considered one, which is the wide strap. Go with a better strap. Go with lighter tuners on the headstock to cut down the weight so that the headstock doesn't dive down to the ground and move the strap uh, point, right? Um, that's a big part, you know, right? You know, move it to a position where maybe it helps you not have an instrument dive. Um, the uh, the only other thing which I don't really recommend, but I've seen a lot of people do it. They a lot of guitar players will put weight on the back of the guitar. I've seen them do that. Remember, they I've seen them put buckshot and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not big on that, but I get it, right? You know, in that theory, I guess you could uh, get some gaffers tape and gaffers tape some weight to the strap on that side when you hook the strap. That'll push the weight there. Um, but I like the other two ideas, which is think about moving the strap button, definitely lighten up the headstock as much as you can. And uh, and you try a bigger strap, that's great, but keep trying straps until, you know, it's one of those things where you got to take your guitar down to the local store or guitar center or the mom and pop shop and just sit there with straps and try them until you, you get the right vibe. Yeah, and sometimes it's a material, the strap will... Yeah, the material strap will be a bigger deal than yeah. how wide it is. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Joseph has a question. He says, I'm one of the guys who played out back in the day. Okay, so he played back in the day. Okay, we, we just talked about that. Played out. Yep. I got back into it after a 20-year break. 
Your videos have been huge help. I appreciate that. Finding a way through overwhelming amount of options of gear. Yeah, I would imagine that if I would have started playing guitar it, when I did and stopped and came back now, uh, I mean, I remember walking to the music store. I was like, okay, uh, boss pedal, <laughs> MXR pedal. So that was your two choices. DOD pedals back in the day. Yeah, DOD. But for me, I'm talking about, yeah. you know, for me, what it was was I was a boss guy, not an MXR guy at first. So it was like boss. You, you know, right? Yeah, your selection, it was like a Strat or an Ibanez, right? Or maybe a Gibson. Like Maybe you know, right? if you yeah. went to the right store, there was a Gibson there. Yeah, it was. it's crazy now. So, um, okay, so let's get to it. So finally, here's the question. Do you have a systematic way to find the rhythm and lead tone you like, particularly when you are changing things up? Between guitar controls, amp controls, pedal controls, I feel pretty lost. Yes, this is a great question. Joe, let me mess with your question a little bit. What he's really getting to the sense of is, do you have a philosophy? Do you have a, a, a process? Do I have a system in which I set tone on things or how do I adjust? And I do. Um, the first thing I will tell you that I do is 90% of the time, my guitar knob on my guitar, which is why if you look at my guitars, most of my guitars, um, if I unless I can't find a way so far, have plastic knobs with numbers on them. Do you kind of notice that now, Ralph, right? I do notice some, and I think yeah. I know why. It's because I always set my guitar knob like two t- ticks back, right? It's never full throttle. Oh, okay. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. And the reason is is because I, I first thing I do, and then I set my amp tone. And um, I am not afraid to use my tone control. You know, for years I thought it – I realized – for years, people are like, oh, I don't like the way it sounds. Well, that's because you turn it all the way back and you get this muffly sound. But there's sweet spots on the tone control. So the first thing I do when, when setting up my tone is I start with setting my guitar up the way I like it. And then I start adjusting the amp. And the reason I do that is because I want to, when I find an amp that's a little darker, um, I can brighten up the guitar by pulling that tone control forward or pushing the volume knob forward. I, I like to adjust from the guitar. I use my guitar knob, my volume knob to clean up my amps by you know, pulling back the signal. Um, that's just a system I use. Um, with amps, I always run amps flat. I think that's the normal thing. That's definitely a bass player thing, by the way, uh, but guitar players will do it too. Run all the, amp, the knobs. So that's your volume. Well, not your volume. Your gain, your presence, your middle, bass, and treble. You all run them straight up in the air like at 12 o'clock uh, and see what the amp sounds there and then start adjusting. That gives you a center point. However... Um, I say I do that, but the truth is some amps I know are passive and some are active EQ, and I'll sometimes have a different opinion about how I do that. But I think if you're not familiar with what I'm saying, definitely start there. So that's the first part of what I do. Um, I always will try to make the guitar have as much of the sound control as possible Um, because that's where it's coming from. Um, Okay, next one is from Dwayne. Dwayne wants to know, hey, he watched the... uh, the video on breaking in an amp speaker, do you recommend breaking in acoustic guitars in a similar way? Place them in front of amps for several hours. Dwayne, great question. So you know, most high-end acoustic guitar companies already do that for you. They put them in rooms and play them with loud music uh, to keep them reverberating. Uh, They do that for a couple reasons. One, they do that because the uh, guitars, uh, guitars guitars vibrate, right? They have friction, right? There's movement. Yeah. And things work themselves loose and glue joints don't stay crack and things are brittle. So they do that to find the problems. They also do that to break in the sound of the guitar. 
Yeah, there's uh, a good video from uh, Alvarez Yari on that. Yeah, absolutely. On YouTube. It, it's a great watch to understand how these you know, upper-end guitars are made and the, the science behind it. But, but yeah, definitely a, a, a good video on that one. Yep, and it's, yeah, you can look it up. It's on YouTube. It's the Yiri, Alvarez Yiri Factory Tour, or just type in Alvarez Japan Factory Tour, and they'll show you that part. There are devices you can buy. Um, I forget what they're called, but they clamp on your guitar, your acoustic guitar, and they vibrate your guitar. Uh, have I done that? Never. Uh, acoustics, um, no, but uh, I don't have a system for breaking an acoustic, but I do love them more broken in. Um yeah, we've heard of guys doing that, and they'll put them in front of speakers while they go to work. No, nothing like, no, not crazy volume, but just enough to get the, no, kind of the wood to vibrate some just throughout the day. I've, I've, I've heard of guys doing that. Uh, does it work? I couldn't tell if it worked or not, but they seemed, it, it worked for them. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and it like, wouldn't hurt it, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like I said, uh, no, I think I, just like breaking in a speaker, I think breaking in the acoustic is a, a great idea. Uh... You know, uh, where I would, you didn't ask, but just in case you guys listening have this question, what about electric guitars? Um, no, I, I feel that electric guitars, uh, they break in differently. The thing I think breaks in is the side, the fret edges get rounded over, and you can do that uh, with fret files and, and sand, sanding paper. You know, I, I use uh, micro mesh, but you get the idea. Okay, Jay has a question. He says, hey, I know, um, I noticed, wait. I know I'm late, but I noticed the Les Paul faded to 2016 has... This question got weird. Let's try it again. I know I'm late. That's what's throwing me off. But I just noticed that the Les Paul 2016 faded have Burst Bucker Pro pickups in it. Okay. We understand, right? I have a Burst Bucker Pro. Oh, I love the Burst Bucker Pro. Much better than the Classic 57. The 57 have something harsh or blunt in the high end to me. Okay, so he doesn't like it. Not a fan. Uh, here's my question: Why does Gibson? Why did Gibson not put Burstbucker Pro in the 2017 entry models? Too expensive. I'll buy a 2016 faded anyway. Thanks for the great videos. Really don't understand the point of this this question. I'm sorry, Jay. It's um, they they do what Fender does, and they all do. They try different pickups. Uh, to freshen up the line, right? Or so, it's whatever they had in stock at yeah, the time. Yeah, right. Or if they're overstocked on it, or right. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to ask a question why a manufacturer does something. They do that. Um, a lot of times, it's as simple as they hired a new marketing guy, and the new marketing guy was like, "Hey, you know what? That's the pickup he likes, and he puts that in there." Sometimes it's as simple as a famous rock star mentions to them that that's what they like, and that guy's in vogue, and they try that. Sometimes Ralph's right; they have too much sitting in the warehouse. Yeah, they come out and they're like, "What are we gonna do with all these pickups?" And like, yep. put them in this line. Yep. Um, and I can tell you right now, it, it, the other thing that happens is real popular is trends. Right now, the 57s are trending better. Classic stuff trends better than modern stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, so so people perceive Burst Bucker Pro as being a modern pickup. The 57, of course, is a classic. It's real trendy to play vintage-style stuff. Everybody wants to have the, you know, the old uh, gear again. So um, so that that's probably the main the main difference but are the main reason why they did that um so you know that's why they did that but still a good question and, and it's hard of it um i i'm the opposite i think i like the 57s better <laughs> they're a little dark i don't really find them hard high, high indie and harsh but i do find them dark 
I know it's a weird terminology. When I mean dark, I mean they don't have a whole lot of mids in them, right? They're kind of scooped, but I like it. Uh, Dylan's got a question. It says, hey, I have a question. It's good. because you have a question? Doing. You have a question. <laughs> For you, it's about tube amps. That seems to be more, a trend more, today. More tubes. More tubes. When you replace tubes, are there ones that are better than others? Are there, are, are, or are they all the same? I know the ones made in the the States and Russia are expensive. I don't think there's a whole lot made in the United States anymore, but I understand where you're going, Dylan. Okay. Uh, are expensive, but are they, but do they give different sound? I'm looking for something that will change my current sound that I have. Thanks, Phil. It will be awesome if you could do a video. Uh, or a cool podcast. No, he didn't put that part no. in. I just said, <laughs> uh, video. Been cool if he did. <laughs> yeah, Dylan. Okay, so let me explain tubes first. If you really care about tubes, if this is a really subject that you want to know about, you can go to Tube Depot or Tubes and More uh, those websites, and they have a section where they explain how all the tubes in the world work. And from what I understand, what I've read of what they put, that is my understanding as well. What they're saying is what I understand as well. Basically, let me start here. And some of this information will be uh, slightly inaccurate uh, because things change and I can't keep up on everything. But I promise the core, 95% of what I'm saying is accurate. There are only a few companies in the world that make tubes, okay? We heard terms, I've heard there's three, I heard there's two. I don't care how many there is. There is the point is, is there's not very many because here's who pretty much uses tubes now. Guitar players and high-end home audio stereo systems. Okay, no. That's who pretty much purchase tubes now, uh, for the most part. Uh, so here's the problem with tubes. Tube manufacturers make tubes. What we perceive as tube manufacturers, like uh, Sovtech and JJ and Groove Tubes and Mesa Boogie, are tube testers. What you're buying, when you buy a... So when people go, oh, they just slap different labels on them, they're all the same. That's actually not true. What happens is... Uh, so think of it this way, right? Um Imagine, if you will, all the a couple of factories making all the tubes. A company like Mesa Boogie buys tubes with specifications. They're saying, hey, give me tubes that are within these range. They get them. Mesa Boogie is an interesting company because I like talking about them. Mesa Boogie tubes are what they do is they bias all their amps the same, right? Mm-hmm. And then they only stock tubes that are biased to their amps. Does that make sense? Yes. So you don't bias a Mesa Boogie to tubes. You just buy the tubes that match up to your Mesa Boogie. So the beautiful part about Mesa Boogie is you shouldn't have to pay anybody to buy us your amp. You should just be able to buy Mesa Boogie tubes from a Mesa Boogie dealer and put them in. That's what they're doing. They're matching the sets of tubes to, to the, the amps. amps. It's a unique thing. Now, that's because they make the amps and they're picking their tubes. Good for them. Now, however, uh, if you want to change that, then you have to have biasing done and stuff. Um, now, what's interesting is a company like Groove Tubes, what they'll do is they test tubes and they'll test them and they go, okay, these are on the higher end, hotter side, right? Yep. And these are on the smoother, lower end side. They've got less, less you know, high, high end push. And they rate them one to 10. So 10's being too high and, 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 and one's being too low. And they let you buy one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. You can see that they're numbered, okay? Um, but another tube company, uh, I, like JJ, will tell you that anything above the, uh, so, eight and anything below two is junk so what groove tubes is doing is actually horrible because everything needs to be right in the middle so what you're really buying from all these companies is everybody's theory on how tubes should be done what the really important thing to know is is that there's not enough tubes and tube manufacturers what they're making is pretty crappy so 
what you're seeing is inconsistencies like crazy. In fact, every amp manufacturer that I've ever talked to, like Dave Freeman or Bob at 65 Amps or uh, Tony Crank from Crank Amps, uh, Crank Amps, or, you know, go on, they all have the same story. They, they all basically say the, the death of the tube amp won't be XFX. It'll be the fact that it's harder and harder to get good tubes. Me personally, retail experience selling amps, I feel like one of every 10 amps I ever sold had a tube issue. Yes. And and people would get mad. They'd buy an amp and they bring it back to the store and they go, this is acting up. And I'm like, it's a tube. And they would look at you like you're conning them. And the truth is, like, and it was so it was so yeah. normal for us to, to see issues with tubes. You know, um, yeah, to be go like that's what that's where you're hearing this weird sound from. That's what the problem is. It's just a bad tube. Yes, and and that's just how it goes. So tubes are going to be an issue. So um, it's not a scam. It's not a conspiracy. It's not anything like that. It's just um, you know, it's what it's what we have to deal with. So um, okay, so let's go to the last one for this podcast. So we're here. We go ready. And it's going to be a hard one, I can tell. <laughs> Gary Lopez has got a question. He says, hey, I have a Squire that I'd really like to make better. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I, I'll take your advice with... Uh... Oh, he took my advice on the locking tuners. So he's upgraded locking tuners on a Squire. Okay. I wanted your opinion on what is some good single-coil pickups that will have a nice, clean sound and can also be very distorted. Uh, I have no clue about pickups. Also, I have a Schecter guitar with active pickups, and I like to switch them out for passive. I'm looking for the same thing in in, in what he's looking for, the single coils. He's looking for the humbuckers, too. Okay, so thank you for your time. Gary, these are very hard questions, uh, so that's why it's cool to end the podcast with yours. Okay, so let's start with that. First, pickups are such an impossible thing to suggest for anybody. There are so many now, it's crazy, and what's even worse is there um and this is how i personally feel about them there are so many there's like thousands of different pickups but realistically they're only all like two to three percent different <laughs> so if even that if even that much even that much so it's it's like going to a baskin robbins that has 31 flavors of chocolate and you're like which chocolate do i get and i'm like well do you want the dark dark chocolate or the semi-dark chocolate or the medium dark chocolate or dark chocolate right right milk well, chocolate, rocky road chocolate chocolate, chocolate or do you want chocolate with walnuts i mean literally it's it's so close do you want chocolate chocolate chunks <laughs> yeah chocolate chocolate chunks so um there is extreme so to me an active pickup to passive pickup is an extreme that is literally going far enough to that you're going from dark uh chocolate 80 percent if you guys know what that means in the chocolate world uh to a milk chocolate that's enough of a, a range. So, um, uh, me, I'm a broken record on this. If I had a Schecter and I was switching active to passives, you know you have to gut everything. If you don't know that, you're learning it now. Uh, so your potentiometers that we talked about earlier in the podcast have to go from 25K up to 500K. So you're going to have to gut everything. And I would just buy it all from Seymour Duncan and get a JB and a Jazz and call it a day unless you want to go DiMaggio and do the same thing. But I think the uh, Seymour Duncan, uh, I think it's called the Blues Set, it's a set of pickups. It's a Seymour Duncan JV and a Jazz. It's a safe bet. Good set pickup. Get that. Get your kit and do it yourself or take it down to your local store and have that done. 
Which is also a nice rock set, too, because that's yeah, what uh, yeah. Dave Mustaine's pickups are based off of, right? Yeah, yeah of course. I, you know what? Yeah. JB and Jazz is great. I have yeah, a bunch of guitars. Yeah, and everybody thinks, like, oh, well, it's a JB and a Jazz, so it's no, and it's not going to be for, like, no, it's fine. Well, the problem is, is some people tell me they hate the JB and the Jazz. A lot of people say, like, I hate it. I find that it's always, tr- they could be telling the truth, but I find the majority of players that say they hate the JB uh, or the Jazz or the JB 59 set or the JB Jazz. What they really hate is the commonality of it. It's so common. It's in everything. Yeah. I think the next most common is probably the distortion pickup. Yes. But what I will tell you that no one will tell you about the JB pickup is, you know, everybody wants to tell me how it's not a great pickup. And I'm like, well, but I don't care if it's not a great pickup. Here's my deal. I found that some of the pickups that are fantastic, that people love, they're contingent on the rest of the scenario. So let me give you an example. Let's say the guy goes, oh, I love the blah, blah, blah pickups, the greatest pickup ever, but he only loves it because it matches with his pedal, his amp, his guitar, the wood that's in his guitar. It's a great sound. He loves it. And the second, my experience from changing out thousands of pickups in Ralph 2, the second anything in that chain changes, he don't love that pickup anymore. Or even the size of the room that he's playing in. Yeah, things change. He's like, change. oh, I was playing at home, sounded great, we went out and played this club, sounded yep. horrible all of a sudden. Yep. So um, there are there are pickups. So here's what I, la- I I tell people I love, I laugh about. When people go, I hate the JB. And I go, yeah, you know what? No one should love the JB. It's average. But what's great is, is it's average. It sounds good for rock and metal and blues. It does everything okay. And it goes into a lot of things great. Yeah, and it it's not it's not it doesn't freak out when you put it in an alder body or a, a mahogany body, and I know that's like a tonewood thing, but I don't care. What I'm telling you is that when you the JB fits in a lot of guitars, it's very sterile. In fact, I will tell people that I have found personally when I don't love the way a guitar sounds, but I want to keep it, I throw JB in it because it'll always just make it sound the the way. So that's my suggestion: JB to Jazz for the Schecter, for the Fender. Um, you know what I would suggest is uh, on your Squire? Uh, first suggestion, always, always find someone who's gutted a set of American Strat pickups out of their guitar and put it on eBay. Get used American pickups, put them in there. It'll make your guitar sound like an American Strat. You should be able to get them dirt cheap. And, uh, you know, and you're not out a lot of money when you when you change yeah. out the Squire for something else or if you end up doing that. But, um, but... Uh, what's great about that is I would imagine that if you buy a set, a three set of American Standard uh, uh, pickup single coils uh, at a decent price, uh, when you decide to upgrade later, after your ears kind of acquired what you're hearing and what you like, if you ever even decide to change, you can get your money back. So what are you out? You're out in really nothing. Um, and uh, it, that's a pickup that I would really suggest looking at maybe soldering in yourself. There's two wires, a ground and a hot. Uh, it's a very simple thing. You take a picture of what it looks like. Yeah. You desolder all the wires. <laughs> you solder in all the new ones back the way that the picture looked, and you're done. Uh, the only thing you have to worry about is burning your fingers, right? So. Yeah, and a lot of times uh, guys will sell them up on uh, eBay with the pick guard and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you, you'll find all kinds of combinations. I mean, the Strat's the most hot-rotted guitar out there. Absolutely. And, and and I'm not gonna lie, when I bought my strat, I was like, I'm gonna keep the three humbuckers in there. I was I was dead set that lasted all of like three weeks. Yeah. Pulled pulled the hum uh, the single coils out, popped it humbuckers, and it sits in the original pit guard. That way if I ever want to put it back in, I can just drop it back in. But a lot of guys sell them. They're yeah. like, I don't want the single coils, I'm gonna sell them. They'll put them up on eBay. So yep. so a lot of times you can just get them like that. My my big thing is, man, 
buy used pickups. All you got to do to make sure is uh, you got to make sure that they have enough wire, that somebody doesn't cut the wire too far back, and that you buy them from somebody reputable so that you know if you install them, they don't work, you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, So that's it. So there you go. All right. That's going to be the end of this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to talk about everything in the world. That was pretty nice to be able to go in length about subjects. Um, I hope uh, you guys will continue to listen to the podcast. This will be the thing now we'll do. And uh, if you have suggestions, you know, let us know. You can reach me on or Ralph through the Ask Know Your Gear page. You can send it straight there. That's where the best thing to do is. Um, and hopefully now with in conjunction with YouTube and the uh, podcast, we'll actually get through more of them. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? I mean, it, it's at this point, it's still thousands and thousands and thousands of emails a month. Um, yeah, I mean, it's summer movie month, uh, yeah. so we might just be at the movies instead. And like, hey, we should do a podcast. And like, nah, go to movies. Yeah. It happens. It happens. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you checking out the podcast. And uh, as always, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. And uh, know your gear.